0: Welcome to Island Baptist Church. Today's sermon is on Micah chapter 6 and is titled, What the Lord Requires of Us. We're going to be studying the Bible, so you need one of those. Micah. Started in Micah last time. We're going to be in Micah 6. Micah chapter 6 today. Micah 6. I want to introduce you to a, to a man there on the screen. This man is named Nevis Coleman. He has served as groundkeeper for the White Sox as a career he recently, or at least relatively recently, was absent for his job for a space of 23 years. It's kind of a long vacation, but it was not a vacation for him. He was absent for his job for 23 years because he was convicted in 1994 of rape and murder. 2017, two years, I guess it's been two years, we're well, 2019 now. It's kind of, you having a hard time writing that on your stuff? <laughs> Gotta be real careful. Uh, 2017 he was released exonerated for the crime that he had paid 23 years for on DNA evidence. DNA evidence by the way they had possession of in 1994 but they didn't either test it or they didn't test it correctly have the technology or whatever it was but uh, the DNA evidence completely exonerated him not only did it exonerate him but it also found the person who had committed the crime they caught the guy and he confessed to it. So 23 years this guy was sitting in prison rotting in prison for something someone else did. And 23 years, someone else who had done the crime was not in prison, which is where he belonged. Anyway, uh, so a sad story in, on some levels and a happy story on other levels, 23 years of his life stolen from him for apparent, no apparent reason. Uh, Cook County uh, judge granted Mr. Coleman a certificate of innocence, which is, I guess, the best they could do for him under the circumstances. I don't know anything about court settlements or anything like that, but nonetheless, he was given his job back. In fact, they con- the wine contacted him and said, we want you to have your job back. In fact, they gave him his job back, his, the exact same job he had when he was convicted. At the salary plus all the benefits and all the increases and raises he would have gotten in those 23 years, they gave it all to him. He walked back on there. The guy who was the director of the entire thing as far as the uh, groundskeeping is concerned, a guy by the name of Roger Boussard, they call him the sod father uh, for the director of grounds. This is what he said. He said to to, uh, Mr. Coleman, he said, I saved your spot for you. I knew you'd be back, he said. Wasn't that a great story? Uh, It's so great to see when justice comes through. It's also, at the same time, equally sad because justice did not happen for 23 years for him. And it did not happen for someone else who had done those things for those 23 years. And so, on the one hand, it's great to hear and heartwarming to hear that, that the system, if you will, or the people in the system actually worked uh, at the same time, it also saddens us to realize that uh, injustice still reigns. We still live in a place where uh, the and it's not the, again it's not the system. What's the what's the problem? It's the people. That's exactly right. Uh, we're short-sighted. Uh, we don't we don't do everything we should. We're sinful. Uh, we have our own prerogatives. We have our own agendas, and we pervert justice or we overlook justice, depending on what the case may be. Looking forward to the day in which God is going to bring justice to the earth, which He will in uh, force it will not be accepted but he will have to force it on us and and um that day is coming but waiting for the heavenly invasion of justice god calls us to be diff- make the difference wherever we find ourselves it's not that there just can't be justice no god has left he's left representatives of himself here guess who those people are yeah here we are you claim to belong to god through god's son jesus christ you are representative of god and he has called us Called us to make a difference, and we can't miss that call. Jesus says this in Matthew chapter 5. You are the salt of the earth. You're it. He doesn't have several systems to bring preservative, if you will, to our culture, to our nation, to our communities, to our world, or wherever we're from. He doesn't have other things that He's using. He's not sending the angels down here to do our job. We're it. You are the salt of the earth. You, if it's going to be preserved, it's going to be us that does it. Or it's going to be us that funds it. It's going to be us that pushes it. It's going to be us that votes for it. It's going to be us that makes it happen. It's going to be us. You are the lie of the world. So if it's dark and it gets lit, guess who lights it? Us. We are it. He doesn't have an alternative. He doesn't say you are part of the lie of the world. You should be the lie of the world. He says you are. A city set on the hill, what? Cannot be hidden. That's where he's placed us. That's where he's placed us, those who claim to belong to God through his Son. He has placed you in a prominent position. It's up to you whether you shine. But he has called us to be that. How can we possibly read these things that Christ has said to us and think somehow that we are not? We are relieved from our responsibility to make a difference wherever we find ourselves? We cannot do it. Not only are we not relieved from that responsibility, I would suggest to you we might be very well indicted if we don't carry through. What God has called to, I say that because that is context of what's happening here in the book of Micah. God is dealing with his people, the Jews, because they have not left him overtly. That is, obviously, they're very religious, they're very faithful, they're giving, they're doing all this stuff, but in their hearts and in the effect they've had in culture, they have left him. They have. So hear what he has to say here in verse one. Hear now what the Lord is saying. Arise, plead your case before the mountains. That's going to be your jury, because they stand as a witness. Effectively saying, let the hills hear your voice. Listen, to you, listen, you mountains, to the indictment of the Lord. You enduring foundations of the earth, because the Lord has a case against his people. Even with Israel, he will dispute, my people, what have I done to you, and how have I wearied you? In other words, they've quit following him, quit doing what he's told them to do. Answer me, he says. Man, would you want to be in that courtroom? Not me, brother. No way. I wouldn't want to be responsible having to be called on the carpet like like they are, but indeed they are. And God was indicting them because his people weren't doing what he put them there to do, which is make a difference. And they supplanted or replaced uh, uh, the, the call that he had for them and the difference they were supposed to make with, with just being religious and giving stuff. Because I want you to notice how they, under, they hear the indictment and they're thinking, what do we, how can we make this right? What do we need to do to appease God? So notice the options they come up with beginning in verse 6. With what shall we come before the Lord? They're having a council together. Man, we got to get out of this. I don't know what we did, but look, we got to fix this. What we Let's come up with something. Here we go. And bow ourselves before the God of most high. Shall I come to him with burnt offerings, with yearling calves? And by the way, they had it to give. They're going to they're up the ante all the way through this scenario, of coming up with options. They're going to up the ante significantly. And the reason why is because they had it to give. God had blessed them tremendously under the... The tenure of Micah, which is under Uzziah, or actually after Uzziah. Isaiah was under Uzziah. His ministry starts when Uzziah, after Uzziah dies. And then Isaiah and Micah are preaching during this time. King Uzziah and the king, king of the northern kingdom of Israel had brought the, the, the nation almost 100% back to the days of David and Solomon. As far as territory, they conquered and The level of peace, the power, the amount of the opulent wealth that the nation had. Man, they were, they were living prosperously. So they had it to give. Let's offer him some cows. <laughs> you know, let's give him some rams, right? 10,000 rivers of oil, they say in verse 7. That's a lot of olive trees. They had it to give. Shall I present my firstborn for my rebellious acts? there have been times in my life I think thinking that wasn't that big of a sacrifice. I was like, yeah, come get him. I've always read that thinking since I've had kids, thinking, I don't know, some days that doesn't sound like that big of a deal. (laughs) I mean, it was. They were being serious about it. They had it to give. God had blessed them everywhere. They had a bunch of kids, they had opulent wealth, they had peace on every side, they had a strong military, they had great administration. They had it to give. The fruit of my body for the sin of my soul. It, 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 they're, they're just coming up with these options saying, how can we make it right with God? We've got all this stuff that we can give him to to pay him off. You know, we're, we're you come to court and he's indicting us. And so either we, we uh, pay do the time or we pay a fine, right? So they're, well, we can get out with a fine maybe here. Well, no, he's not going to let them off. And albeit they needed to give God a they needed to be faithful to him. Nonetheless, he's not going to let up on their indictment if they weren't otherwise doing and representing him correctly. And that's in fact their real issue. And that's where they didn't want to go. And not that they didn't have to do, uh, didn't need to have to worship and, and give. The problem at it was is they wanted to do that in place of loving God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength, and loving their neighbor as themselves. They wanted to replace that. You see, tell you what, God will. You know, if you'll let us slide on that, we'll make sure and give a ton of money when we show up on Sunday. We'll never miss church. We'll never miss worship. We'll never miss all the things you've called us to do. If you'll just let us slide Monday through Friday, Monday through Saturday. Uh, uh, They were banking on the false notion that we can fall short with God and man and make it up with a sizable offering next worship service. Are you banking on that kind of economy? It's going to go bust. Just like it did for them. It's going to go bust. God doesn't want your stuff, and he doesn't want your religion. He wants you. Why did he sacrifice his one and only son? So that he could have you. So he could have you, not your religion, not your offerings. By the way, he gave it all to you, and he's going to take it all back when you're, when you're dead and give it to somebody else in case you don't know that. So, yeah, you have it to give because it's actually his... I like to think of it as a monopoly game, right? The game belongs to the owner. And when the game is over for you, guess who gets all your hotels and houses and all your money? It goes back in the box, doesn't it? It belongs to the owner. That's all that it is. That's all in the world that it is. Don't try to pay him off. Don't run on the economy. He's going to let you slide by not act, not acting right toward him and toward others. And but you can he you can give to him and be religious toward him and that somehow he's going to let that go. He's not going to let you off. He's got requirements for us, performance requirements for us. He's not going to let you loose from. We're going to be considering these things. Three major requirements of God's people, and let me just say this. These are requirements of God's people. This is not the way you become God's people, okay? We're saved by grace through faith in Jesus. We trust Jesus for our salvation. He is our righteousness. You must have an encounter with the Savior. The reason why they call him the Savior is because that's what you need. You need to be saved, rescued from yourself, from your sins. You can't undo the fact. Who cares how many good deeds you do? The fact is they will not undo the bad deeds that you've done. Only Christ can do that. And once we're saved, then he calls us to do, and that's the thing we're going to be considering here, these three major requirements. But these are not things that get you saved. They're things that saved people should be doing. And so we're going to consider these things, and we're going to be taking a look at them. And let's just see what it says first, and then we'll discuss in verse 8. He says, he has told you, notice past tense, they didn't lack information, they just weren't doing it. He's already informed you, What you're supposed to be doing, you're not doing it. He has told you, oh man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you but to do justice. By the way, this isn't the complete list, but this is the major headings of the list. To do justice, to love mercy or kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. A lot of us know this verse, right? Because it's simple, it's real straightforward. What does God want from us? Well... While you're living down here by faith in God's son, while you're living on the grace of God, God expects you to perform graciously. And here's some of the performance things he's expecting of us. And we're going to take these individually over the next three weeks, starting today, with uh, do justly, act justly. Sacrifice is worthless unless it's supported by obedience. So you sacrifice and you're religious, but you're not obedient. You want God to look the other way. Keep thinking, because that won't work. Keep planning. James two 2.18 says this, Show me your faith without doing anything, and I will show you my faith by what I do. You claim to belong to God through his son Jesus Christ? That produces works. And if that faith that you have is not producing works, then it calls into question a bigger issue. Are you truly saved? I'm not trying to put a load of guilt and depression and load, load you down with a, you know, scared, scaring you to death, but it is worth a review if there's no fruit. Definitely worth a review. He says, because he goes on in the same chapter, James says, faithful without works is dead. It doesn't benefit you or anyone else. It produces works. Works don't produce salvation, but salvation produces works, doesn't it? That's the whole argument of James. That's the argument of Micah as well. Again, the doing justly, the do is the key part here. It's not enough to just... Think justly or to know or want justice. It actually has to be done. Justice isn't justice until you act on it. You, me, act on it. This is an action. That God is asking us to take and there's going from this point on some some things and points I'm going to be bringing up here uh, That come uh, from in particular a sermon by the guy by the the name of Andy Payne I don't know him, but I want to make sure and give him credit here And some of my points are also mixed up in here and at this point I can't really remember who I whether this is mine or his so I'm just going to tell you give it all credit to him But there's good stuff So I hope you're listening Why do we need to act on justice? Is it enough for us to elect the right people? Is it enough to believe justly? No, it's not. Apparently. Apparently it's not. Apparently we have to do something. Why do we need to act on justice? Well, number one, because God says so. Says so. Did you not raise your kids that way? They ask a question. Why do we want to do this? Because what? I said so. There are some things you just can't explain. Some things there's no time to explain. You want to be a good parent, you want them to understand, but sometimes they can't get it. But the bottom line is, we're moving forward. When God comes to you and says, you need to do this, there's nothing wrong with asking the question why, but make sure you're asking the question while you're moving forward, you see. Not, I'm going to suit her until you explain yourself to me. Well, I found that he doesn't respond well to that. You did, did you respond well to that kind of stuff as a parent? You expect God to do that? No. Uh, as they say, another thing coming, don't you? Why should we act on justice? Because, first of all, God says to, So, number two, because God is just. Because God is just. You claim to belong to him, but you don't act in, the, in kind with his nature? Again, that calls to question some important things. Consider James, Psalm 37, verse 28. For the Lord loves Justice. You want to do something that absolutely just God loves? He loves to see justice done. He loves to see wrongs righted. He loves to see people helped. He loves it. It thrills his heart when a child of his that he bought with the blood of his one and only son uses the power of the Holy Spirit that indwells him and her to do something that makes a difference for the better. He loves it, doesn't he? He loves it. He loves it. Why do we need to act on justice? Because it is God who is just. Isaiah 30, verse 18, Therefore the Lord longs to be gracious to you, therefore he waits on high to have compassion on you, for the Lord is a God of justice. How blessed are all those who long for him. God is a God of justice. Psalm 36, Your righteousness, speaking to God, is like the highest mountains, your justice like the great deep Go over here to the ocean and take a look. That's how vast and how deep the justice of God is. It's like the water's covering the sea. It's unfathomable. Can't get to the bottom of it. Can't run to the last bit of it. I mean, his justice is just so perfect, so so pervasive. How well does the waters cover the floor of the sea? Completely, right? We look forward to the day in which that kind of justice is going to, we're going to be. We're going to be drowning in the justice of God. It's going to be awesome because right now it's certainly drowning in something else. Sewer water, in my opinion, but it's just ugly out there. But the, the, there's bright spots in there. God has placed them in there. And that bright spot is you and me, or supposed to be. There, there's healthy spots in there. There's preserved spots in there. And guess what those are? You and me. That's our job. It doesn't say you should be the salt of the earth and you should be the light of the world. It says you are. That is what you are. Be who you are. Be who you are. It's not enough for us to wish for justice or complain about the lack of it. We have to work for it. You and me. So are you working for justice in the places that you find yourself? It's an important question begged by the text. Are you working for justice in the places That you find yourself is justice first of all, and before we start looking outside of ourselves, we need to look inside of ourselves. Am I actually just? This is tax season, right? We just finished 2018, everybody's getting their taxes together, getting ready for. Be careful. Be careful. We justify a lot of stuff, don't we? Who's gonna find out? Maybe nobody, but God always sees. God always sees. So you're going to fudge on that because why? Because, well, I've got to take care of my own, and I've got to be careful and shrewd. I'm not think, saying there's anything wrong with that. I'm just saying if what you're doing is actually not honest, then what you're saying is, is that I really trust my way of handling things over the top of God. I, I need to finagle things because I'm better at blessing me than God is because if I do it the other way, I'm going to have less money. Right? So God's not able to make your less more, and then what you finagled for yourself, that more, he's not able to make it less? Oh yeah, you can count on it. He's not able to make an example out of his kids who should be acting right? I don't know if you've ever had an audit before, but um, my, my understanding is, is they're not exactly fun. And you want to mess around with stuff and get, make God make an example out of you? Well, I think he probably will do that for you who do you trust it starts justice starts within my within me and then it goes outside of me are we working for justice first of all within ourselves and then with outside of ourselves there was a baptist church i read an example of reminder us our little baptist church here because of the things that they did a baptist church working with people in poor neighborhoods of financially supporting them counseling them enabling uh helping them with circumstances and situations, legal situations and all kinds of stuff and they were supported by a couple of different entities that were supporting them financially and they had a Another church called him and said, listen, how can we help you? Uh, we've, we've, we, we, uh, can we give you money? And the pastor, of course, all pastors are going to say, absolutely. <laughs> the pastor did say, he said, uh, you know, we can use all the money that we can possibly get. He says, honestly, though, and I would say the same thing as a pastor, we really need people. We, we really need people. We really have more money to do stuff, then we have people to do stuff. True for that church, true for this church. Working and helping and serving, we need people who will do stuff. We need people who will take up a cause and run with it. People who will take off and not come to Pastor Greg and myself or any committee of this church and say, is it okay for me to do this? Listen, if you're not using the funding of the church or the the church building, don't ask our permission to serve God. Go and do it. Maybe even we'll put you in the budget to support you because you're doing so awesome. God's working so powerfully. But it doesn't say anywhere in the scriptures that it's got to be under the church budget. It's got to have the permission of the pastor before you go out and do it. No, it says you go and do what's right. Go and do. Go and do. You have the permission and the call and the command of God to do those things. We can't just fund justice or vote for justice. We have to get our hands dirty. You and me. You and me. Oh, this, by the way, raises and and an, I believe answers an often asked question. Here's the question: If God is just, and believe me, He is. If God is just, then why are we surrounded by so much injustice? We hear that a lot, don't we? You claim that God is just, then why do we have all this injustice? Well, I can answer that question, but I would not can answer it this way. We get into a big theological issue, but I think it's very simply answered by this story that I heard. I read two, two men discussing religion and politics, and they got off on the off of politics and got on the religion. And one of them being honest with each other, you know, just being, trying to be real and hold each other accountable. And one said to the other, he says, Sometimes I would like to ask God why he allows poverty and famine and injustice when he could do something about it. And the other guy says, Well, why don't you ask God that question? He says, You know, I considered asking God that question, but then I was afraid he would ask the same question of me. <laughs> that is so true. Why are you here? The Bible says you've accepted Christ as personal Savior. You have a home in heaven. Why aren't you in heaven? Was God not able to transport you there? Is it not true we're seated already in the heavenlies with Christ? Is that not true? Yeah, it definitely is. So why aren't you physically there? Just take you out of here. Back to the original statement. You have been left to be salt and to be light. And God is going to hold you to that. God is going to, he's going to hold you to that. A song popularized, I'm not sure if it was written by, but popularized and sang by by a guy named Matthew West is a song. We've sang it here in our our services. A, A song called Do Something. right? Kind of like the swoosh with the kids here. Just do it. Do something is the name of this song. And here's one of the lines from that song. It says, I, I just couldn't bear the thought of people living in poverty and children sold into slavery. He says, the thought, the thought disgusted me. So I, I shook my fist at heaven and said, God, why don't you do something? And God's reply was, I did. I created you. I, I, I created you. Before we ever start shaking our fists at heaven... Start asking ourselves. So what? So what am I here for? Yeah, a lot of questions will be answered if you and I would just simply stop looking around. Who needs to do this? And where's God? And where's the church? And where's the pastor? And where's this and that? And start saying, "What about me? What? What about me? What? What? What should? What should I do, be doing? God created me for a purpose. I've, I was born in and uh, and uh into a line of sinners and now i've been recreated in christ jesus into the line of the redeemed and then i'm still here yeah for a reason for a purpose and yeah i understand that purpose is that you're going to be perfected and all this kind of stuff but you know heaven's going to be an instant perfection why not just go there because your perfection down here you're perfect being perfected down here in in part because so that you're your people around you can see your good deeds and praise your Father who's in heaven. But you've got to do good deeds before they can see them. They're, again, the do is important here. It has to be done. Je- Jeremiah 22 is one of my favorite verses. And I'm going to get it up there. One of my favorite verses because it says so much about our responsibility and God says such a uh, in such an incredulous way. Uh, in Jer- Jeremiah is 150 years after after Micah and Isaiah, and he's he's preaching to the Jews as they've ceased, they've just completely ignored God and, and the messengers He's been sending to them, and and they're. They're at the very end. They're the final several kings there that are in rapid succession in the book of Jeremiah before Babylonian king is sit down in judgment to destroy the city of Jerusalem and cart off the Jews into, into uh, exile. And God is arguing with one of the kings about his, the way he's acting, the way he's treating his people. And he argues with him about it based upon, and this king, by the way, is a descendant of David. He's of the bloodline of David. The only ones that can sit on the throne were the descendants of David. He argues With that king back to the original founder or or the original person that sat on that throne, which was David, he compares the two of them. Listen to what he says. Woe to him, speaking to this king, who builds his palace by unrighteousness, his upper rooms by injustice, making his own people work for nothing, not paying them for their labor. Woe to him. If God says, woe, it's woe. Did not your father, he's not talking about immediate father, he's talking about a predecessor, an ancestor, in particular in this case, David. Did not your father do, remember that's the operative word. Not just a matter of he knows what's right or wrong, David did the right thing. Did not your father do what was right and just so that all went well with him? The answer is yes, he did. He, He defended the cause of the poor and the needy. So all went well. Is that not what it means to know me, declares the Lord? That you do stuff, you see. That, that you do stuff. We, we harp on this whole issue of knowing God, and, and it's a big deal. I mean, that is, that is it. You know, Coming to know God through his son, Jesus Christ, having faith in his son, and being rightly related to God. To those who many has received him, says in John 1.12. So then he gave the right to become the children of God. I mean, that's what an incredible thing to be in right relationship with God. But that relationship is supposed to produce fruit. It's supposed to produce signs. And the signs aren't the, the gifts, if you will, even though those can be. Those are not signs. They're signs to a lost world. They're not signs to a world that says, listen, they actually are different. Something has actually changed about them. Is this not what it means, as he says there? Not what it means to know me, to to do what's right, to fear God, to stand up for what's right, to treat people correctly. Is this not what it means to know me? How many people here know God? The the vast congregation, like only one person raised their hand. It was like, I'm not really sure now, Pastor Bill has gotten on to (laughs) us. So you know God or you claim to know God what are you doing that shows that? That's the point of Micah. That's the point of James. That's the point that God is trying to make here. What are you doing? You doing that shows that. There's not just one thing to do or two things to do. There's multifaceted things. But salvation produces fruit. It produces a lifestyle that demonstrates that you know him. Actions doings that demonstrate that you know him it just does and you may say well with regards to justice that what could i do it's just me i don't have any influence i don't have any power i don't know anybody i'm not related to anybody political positions i don't hold a political position well let me give you an example of the things that can be done by simple people who are just determined determined to do something an example from history the late 1800s king leopold ii king of belgium started colonizing the Congo, of course, the European powers began to control certain, all, all of Africa. And uh, the, the kingdom of Belgium began to control the area of the Congo, began to colonize it. It was a land rich with natural resources. In particular, it was rich with rubber. Rubber tree was there. And there was way more available rubber. And, of course, at that time, the end of the 1800s, beginning of the 1900s, is when rubber became really, really important. Bicycle tires, of course, were already in existence. Car tires. Car tires, and so rubber started. The price of rubber per pound started going up, and so King of, of Belgium was like, "Ah, oh, we got to make some money here." And so, way more possible rubber to be extracted from this country than he actually had workers. And so, what he began to do is he began to enslave. This is late 1800s, early 1900s. We think slavery ended in Europe, and it did in Europe, and in America back in the middle 18 or early 1800s. But it didn't end in Africa. In fact, arguably not over even now. He began to enslave these people. And I mean literally enslave them. They were in chains. They didn't get a salary. They just worked for the Belgian government. And supposedly he cared for them. But the evidence proves otherwise. And he would demand of them a certain quota. He would demand of them that they do certain things. And they were slaves. And um, he also, because he had, there was rebellions and other things, the way he would put down those who either didn't make their quotas or didn't show up on time or didn't do what he was told, he would have them killed. And he noticed the inventories of his, not arm supply, but his ammunition supply, in particular to the Congo, they were using a bunch of ammo. And so he required them to account for their ammo, that they weren't just shooting random stuff, like animals and birds and stuff like that. He wanted to make sure that they were actually killing the people that needed to be killed for him. And so he, had, he required them, to, uh, their accountability, that they had to account for every bullet with a severed hand or foot. So they began to stockpile these hands and feed. That's the way he treated them. That's what they did. His, his forces down there called the force publique were the ones that killed scores tens of thousands of people in the Congo, all for the sake of rubber to be imported to Europe for the, for the trade and, and, and into the United States as well. So but what happened was, so this was a massive injustice. The people that lived in the Congo were powerless. So they were basically enslaved. Uh, the few people that were not from the Congo that lived down there, the, from Europe, saw these atrocities and decided they couldn't do anything about it. And what can you do against the king anyway? And they had no power, no voting power, no way to undo anything. And there was, but nonetheless, there was a mild-mannered British missionary couple who had gone to the Congo, believing God had called them there, guys by the name of John and Alice, who believed God had called them there to reach these people for Christ. And that's what they had been doing for quite some time. And they began to see these atrocities. And they asked the same, what can we do? It's just us. It's just us and a handful of churches that we were affiliated with who are sending agency back in England. What could we possibly do to undo a king in this horrible thing in a foreign country? And the king also is from a foreign country. And so they decided to do something. The only thing that they could do was they had in possession of themselves, this is the early 1900s, of what was called a Kodak Brownie camera, this little original one of the few that uh, began to mass produce these cameras that individuals could own. They had this Konak, Kodak Brownie counter, and in particular, Alice, the wife of, of this couple, began to take pictures, all, all, everything that she could. People in chains, the rubber plantations, the stacks of hands and feet, corpses, uh, um, mass graves. She began to take these pictures, but still she's got these pictures on the camera. What do I do? And so she asked, and she finally got the ability to, to develop these pictures. And as she developed them, she would send them back, parcel posts, back to her sending churches so that they could just simply see and pray. She had been sending this information about things that were going on, and now she's sending pictures. Well, the pictures that arrived in those churches in England made their way out of the churches into the town halls, out of the town halls into the university lecture halls, out of those into uh, parlors and into halls of government. In fact, it became not just a national thing in England. It also became an international thing. Our story was so spread so quickly It made its way all the way to the United States, even into the writings of Mark Twain. Read some of his stuff. You'll read the history of this couple, or actually the history of King Leopold II, the stuff that he did over there, and the stuff that, but it came from them. So all they had was pictures. All they had was a camera. All they had was a meager life that they were living over, living their lives completely for the Lord, sacrificing themselves and trying to help these people. That's all they had. And guess what they did? They undid an evil king and they undid an evil regime. And they helped people who could not protect themselves. And it was just them. It was only them. But God, you and God can do anything. Isn't that right? You and the power of all of God living in you, isn't that right? The presence of his Holy Spirit can do anything. I wonder if you wouldn't be brave enough today to pray a prayer with me it goes something like this, God, I would ask you to show me what I can do. See, it's not enough for you to pay for others to get their hands dirty. I'm not saying we shouldn't do that. Vote for others that get their hands dirty. I'm not saying we shouldn't do that. But it's not enough. It's not enough. We need to be doing something. We need to hear God tell us, this is what I have for you, and this is, this is what I want for you. And, and, and let me conclude with this. The, one, of the, one of the best lines back to the song of Matthew West and, and do something, the line goes like this, if not us, then who? If not me and you, right now, it's time for us to do something. If not now, then when? Will we see an end to all this pain? Oh, it's not enough for us to do nothing. It's not enough. It's time for us to do something. It is. Pray with me, please. God, I pray that we would feel the need of the responsibility that we have. You've rescued us through your son, Jesus, given us life, given us hope. You've changed us and resurrected us, and you've turned us into your salt and into your light. And even though salt ultimately can't lose its saltiness, it's of no effect if it's still in the salt shaker. And light can't is always light, but it's of no effect if it's underneath a bushel, if it's hidden somewhere. God, I pray that the salt that we are and the light that we are would get out to the places where it needs to be. I pray, God, that we would be brave enough to pray a prayer that says, God, show me what I can do. Show me what part I can play. We have way more needs than we have people, God. And you know that. I pray That you would send, you the Lord of the Harvest would send workers into your fields. Thank you so much, God, for speaking to us today about the things that we need to do. Thank you, Lord. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for visiting. Find us at www.islandbaptist.org.